Sports is one of the fastest growing industries in the world. And this is the podcast where we talk all things branding, marketing, sponsorship, and events. I'm Rebecca Langawa, founder of Happy Warrior, and I'm an esports brand builder and strategist. Join me as I discuss the world of marketing and esports with some of the top experts in the industry. Welcome to the future marketing in esports. Welcome to the future of esports marketing. This is Rebecca. I'm your host. And with me today, I have Corey Hollingsworth. After seven years at Panini, working with some of the top talents in pro sports, Corey is now bridging the gap between athletes and esports. Welcome, Corey. Hey, thank you, Rebecca. Appreciate it. Nice having you here. So we met maybe a few months ago through yeah. LinkedIn. We have very similar experiences in our past work history. So we became fast friends. You are also a sports marketing veteran. Tell us a little bit about those past experiences because they go pretty far back working with different teams. They really do. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's really funny where when, when we first met, it was one of those like, oh my gosh, you know exactly the problems of being a brand manager, you know, just in terms of just explaining who you are, what you've done and, and all of that. For me, my journey really started back when I was in college. I was a sociology major. A lot of people joke about that being uh, oh, just a fluff major. But at UC Santa Barbara, where I went to school, that was more of a, it was a research institution. So we were doing studies, we were doing papers. I remember doing papers about Laker fans and wanting to know whether or not they were fans of the brand of the Lakers first, or if they were fans of basketball first. Spoiler alert, they're fans of the Lakers brand first. <laughs> so I ended up going to, to grad school for my master's in sport management, went to University of San Francisco, and uh, did the Southern California campus. So I was able to work with the LA Kings and the LA Clippers, as well as some other organizations that are not necessarily in the professional sports side of things, but um, still within that same world. And I was able to work with the Anaheim Ducks as well on my master's project, which looked at basically consumer behavior on uh, people who are going to Anaheim Ducks games, understanding the differences between what a single game buyer wants to experience versus what a season ticket holder wants to experience. And it, re it really laid a foundation for me um, understanding consumer behavior and especially within the sports industry. Fast forward a few years, I moved to Dallas, get on with Panini America. And, and I collected cards as a kid. So it was kind of a, a natural pairing. I yeah. ended up getting on in the product development slash brand team where uh, I originally started on our NBA account. So for five years, I was handling really all kinds of uh, project management, marketing, sales, all kinds of different things that go into building a essentially a CPG in the sports industry. Back up a little bit and explain what Panini yeah. America is, because every time okay. people hear Panini America, they think of a, something with a sandwich. So it's not a sandwich, it's sports cards, but tell us about it. That is accurate. Structure. That yeah. is accurate. So yeah, I've actually got one just handy right here. So this, for example, is one of our soccer cards that, that I was able to, to see from start to finish. This is what Panini is all about. It's the, the, the global leader in sports cards, especially in the licensed space. So NFL, NBA, Premier League Soccer, as well as FIFA. So they, you know, all, all over the years, 
that industry has grown tremendously. You've seen a lot of speculation. You've seen people jumping in. Gary Vee is obviously very invested in trading cards. And, and he and I have even talked about like, oh, you know, all the different things that go into soccer uh, trading cards because it's a huge passion of his too. And wow. But yeah, so, you know, really from a brand standpoint for Panini, we had, depending on the sport, we had anywhere from 20 to 30 releases a year that all had to stand on their own in what's really a crowded marketplace because in the sports card and memorabilia side of things, there are, I believe, about 140, 150 releases a year between all the manufacturers. So at any given time, there are three products per week that are coming out fighting for people's dollars. And so on the uh, on the brand side of things, you know, on the NBA side, for me, it was engaging with players. It was finding players who we wanted to pursue autograph memorabilia deals with and then just finding new ways to use this uh, vehicle of an exclusively officially licensed product from the NBA and make something that I would collect as a buyer. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. awesome. And, uh, and over the years, I ended up switching over to soccer. And basically, we started out with one release in 2014 for World Cup Prism Soccer, which took the industry by storm. And then I jumped on in 2015 on the soccer side of things and we saw that category grow from that one release in 2014. And I believe in 2020, it was planned for seven or seven to eight releases, depending on how things were going to shake out. And so it's been fascinating to see that grow. And then over the years, one of the things that Panini does is, uh, you know, it's so rookie heavy, right? It's, it's so focused on these up and coming talent, up and coming players. And we would work with athletes about once or twice a year, depending on the sport. And I found I really enjoyed just that one-on-one interaction with them and mm-hmm. uh, talking with them and making them obviously get a little frustrated with us, making them sign lots and lots of items uh, over right. a two to three day span. And right. uh, But yeah, that's kind of the, the overhead view there of Panini too. So as you guys were marketing to your core audiences, I would imagine in my, like, and I, I know nothing about trading cards, but I would see it as being avid collectors, older men and women that are avid collectors that are really trying to kind of close out a suite. And then youngsters that are just wanting to get as many cards as they can in a given season or a, a given series. Is that, are those like your two key areas or are there things that I'm missing? Well, it's really evolved and it even changes from sport to sport. So you have obviously baseball, which has you know been the lifeblood of, of the trading card industry for you know generations and generations. Yeah. And you have a lot of people there who are set collectors still. They're people who just want to buy the the tops release, you know, top series one every single year. They want to buy it and get the entire set. Then you have some people in baseball, especially who are prospectors. They want to find the rookies before they're before they blow up. They want to mm-hmm. pull, get Bowman Chrome and they want to get every card that they can of that. Sometimes they'll get multiple of that same player just in hopes that whenever they come to the bigs, they can capitalize on that. And, and so you do have an older demographic there, but, and, but you also have that family aspect too, where you know the father or the grandfather or the mother or the grandmother wants to impart that to their next generation versus basketball. Now, basketball has really, of the three main collected trading cards in the U.S., it's the youngest of the, th- of the three. I mean, football has been yeah. around, but and basketball's had some sets here and there. But for the longest time, it was baseball and football, and then basketball was down here. Yeah. But really, in the last 10 to 15 years, there's been a huge amount of growth there, primarily in Southeast Asia. 
Uh, you have a lot of, of interest in China, in Singapore, in the Philippines, and Taiwan, where you have a lot of people there who just love basketball. Yeah. And we started to see that in terms of building product, especially, we wanted to make sure that what we were building was going to be consumed and accepted by those audiences as well. We learned along the way that there's really a pretty significant segmentation there. And we would find that the way that we could build product and market a football product that's geared towards that $100 price range, that's geared towards, you know, kind of general collector base. Mm-hmm. would not work for a basketball product that was a 200 300 $500 uh, box of cards because the, the consumer behavior was just vastly different. Right, right. And then you're on a global scale. So you're having to build out marketing strategies and communication strategies that are going to be attractive to foreign markets. Yeah, yeah. And, and the industry has obviously, you know, it's actually been on fire for the last about three years or so across mm-hmm. each of the sports. Even on soccer, we took a look last back in 2018. We knew it was a World Cup year. And so our strategies changed completely. And originally, we had huge, audacious plans dealing with the U.S. national team because the expectation was they would be in the World Cup. When that didn't happen, we had to completely shift. And, and Jason Howarth, uh, who's the VP of marketing uh, at Panini, he's, he's done an incredible job of helping to build that brand up and across mm-hmm. the industry and I'd say outside of trading cards too. He's done a great job of getting visibility out there in areas where there wouldn't necessarily be. But with, when, it, when we talked about soccer, we were like, okay, we need to pivot and embrace our already very strong relationship with the, the Mexican Football Federation. Mm-hmm. And so we took a look at who we could work with. Um, Chucky Lozano was a player that we worked with, Javier Rodriguez, Ticharito, um, a couple of other ones and, and, and strategic partners just to shift the focus because we couldn't embrace Christian Pulisic. We couldn't work too much with the U.S. plans that we had. So we were able to pivot and grow that. And, and we had an incredibly successful 2018, much more than we thought we would, I'd say, in November of 2017. when. Right everything kind of fell out. Well, how are you leveraging those players? Like, how are you interacting with them? And then how are you leveraging their personalities to attract potential consumers to, to purchase these cards? Yeah. So with, for example, just within that 2018 scenario, I was just talking about, we pitched ideas to to our partners for Javier Hernandez and, and Chucky just to do some, some social-based campaigns. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had also talked with Neymar from Brazil about doing a little spot on his um, little cartoon puppet show that he had going on, Neymar Senior, okay. I think it was what it was called, just to have brand integration, to have the product. Because just for the 2018, uh, excuse me, for the World Cup cycle, it's generally around our sticker albums. So these are ones that are consumed globally in countries across the world, every continent, basically. And many people who I'd meet, who I said, if I told them I worked for Panini, and if they were from Europe, Central America, or um, South America, they're like, oh, you mean like soccer? Like the stickers? Because they knew the World Cup stickers. Mm -hmm. And so we pivoted to make sure that was a focus. There was also some integrations with Stu Holden from, I believe he was working at the Future Report at the time. I may need to double check on that one, but he was working with uh, on some very over-the-top platforms as well to um, have like the match of the day. So he was in Russia, he was at the, at the games and he had the two stickers and he would say, okay, we've got Germany, we've got Marco Royce and we're either going against Brazil and here's Neymar. So who's going to win? I think that Neymar is the key. So, Finding ways to, again, just 
get the product out there to make people see, oh, hey, Panini is everywhere. Because ultimately, I think that on the soccer side of things, for me, one of the biggest challenges was being able to convert soccer fans into trading card buyers. Right. Because trading card buyers were already conditioned a certain way, depending on the sports that they consumed, or because they've got 60 plus years or 50 plus years of consumer patterns that they know how to, you know, they understand the industry. Soccer didn't have that. Soccer had about six years. As we talked today, it's about six years. And so we did really seek out certain ways to, when we worked with a player and we got an autograph deal with them, we asked them to do a social media post sometimes. Mm-hmm. Just recently, right before I left Panini, there was a little campaign that we had going with Panini UK, working with some of the Premier League talent that we had just uh, started to work with. And so that was them signing their autographs. And then it was also having them do a quick little social post about uh, something that worked for both parties. Okay. Yeah. And working directly with athletes, like you and I have both had, well, we both had the same role as as a brand manager, which is like, you're the jack of all trades. You just do like whatever special project, whatever unique little thing that doesn't fall under anyone else's traditional role or bucket just kind of lands on your shoulders. But we both, myself being in-house with the Minnesota Timberwolves and with your role that you had at Panini, we both had a lot of face-to-face um, connections when it when it came to working directly with a multitude of athletes because we're responsible for the end product. So yeah. a lot of art direction and, and working with them. Tell me a little bit about how interacting at Panini directly with athletes helped you inform this esports crossover, this esports transition of, and it's really not even a transition. It's almost like an additional layer that can be built into a player's brand because as sports marketers and as brand managers, we're able, I believe, to like innately see opportunity to, to grow brands. So tell me a little bit about the moment you realized that this was a viable thing and then how you've been able to kind of build your own brand, working with athletes and, and bringing them into the esports space. Absolutely. And I think that uh, I'll remember this, hopefully, you know, some 30, 40, 50 years down the line, but I was sitting at the NFL rookie premiere two years ago. So this was 2018. And this was the event that Panini puts on every single year with the top rookies from the NFL. And they do it as well with the uh, NBA, but this is particularly for the NFL side of things. So this was the, the class with Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, Saquon Barkley, Darius Geis, Josh Allen, a huge very, very big class. And there are 40 athletes there. And again, the, the, the social influence in that room is just staggering. And I remember sitting there and I was signing with Naheem Hines, who uh, plays for the Indianapolis Colts. Great running back. Love him. We're talking about Fortnite. He's okay. a huge gamer. And he talked about how he got a custom PC and he signed up everything else. But then the other players started talking about it too. And then across the room, there was discussion about Fortnite. Now, this is May 2018, so it's at its apex, right? Yep, so it's, yep. you know, this is where it's super popular. Of those 40 players, like 15 to 20 of them could not stop talking about Fortnite. And I think it was like five or six of them had brought their PS4s to Los Angeles because they didn't want to go five days without playing Fortnite. Right. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, just looking at this and seeing how avid they were. And I had worked with, you know, on the NBA side in the past, I had seen 
at our NBA events, players just spending all their time up in the gaming lounge, but they were mostly playing 2K or FIFA. They weren't mm-hmm. playing Fortnite. They weren't playing Call of Duty. Granted, the, you know, the league probably hadn't provided those games, but it, it started to really work within me to where I'm like, okay, there's a lot of athletes who are just passionate about this. And I guarantee that their agents aren't necessarily pursuing this outside of getting them a gaming chair or getting them a setup or some headphones. And then I think it was about a couple of weeks later, or it was right around that same time. It's a Friday afternoon. I'm hanging out here in Dallas and I see a tweet come through that Deli Ali and Harry Kane are sitting at home playing Fortnite and streaming it on Twitch. And these two, for, for anyone who's not a soccer fan, these two are some of the most well-known footballers in London. Like Harry Kane could not walk outside of his apartment without getting you know seen by anybody. Yeah. And they are spending their Friday night at home on Twitch playing Fortnite. And, and the banter is something on there that you're just like, okay, they're asking each other, oh, who the other people on the, on the match, who do you have this weekend? Oh, we've got Leicester away. It's just typical basic football banter. And I started to look at this. I'm like, okay, they had, I think about a 900, a thousand concurrence at the time, concurrent viewers. And yep. sitting there and look at this, like there are so many brands that could integrate with this, that could, you know, sponsor this stream. They could become a partner. They could do so much with this. And so it really started to, to ruminate within me. It started to churn within me, I'd say. And at the time, Panini had gotten a deal with Team Complexity, and they were working on some endeavors together, some sponsored streams, some events that they had done. And the ones that we had done were really great. They brought one of them out to, I think, All-Star Game in Charlotte and had Julian Edelman out there, too, do, doing some fun little things with Fortnite. But I felt like that we could have done a lot more. And, and I think that there's just with the positioning that Panini has as this global leader in trading cards and the access that they have, I feel like there's a lot of opportunity for esports and for that positioning there. And for me, I really wanted to see more of that collision course, seeing mm-hmm. how athletes are so engaged in gaming and wanting to see that grow more. Where and do you think so it that's comes a start. from? Like, where do you think it comes from, athletes and gaming? I'm, I have my own opinion. I'm curious what, what, how you think. I mean, I mean it, it's, it's that competitive nature. You know, yeah. I, think that's, I think that's a lot of it. It's they grow up playing against each other. They want to be the best. They want to go against their buddies and, and take them out when, on you know, one game. They just want to prove that they're the best. They want to prove that they're good at that. They're really, really good at this. For a lot of guys, you take a look at some of them who've really engaged in gaming. You know, kind of the first ones were Juju and Carl Anthony Towns and uh, yeah. Ben Simmons. Yeah. Minnesota Timberwolves got to throw that one in there. For yeah, yeah. Um, and and but now you also got people like Josh Hart and Myers Leonard and De'Aaron Fox. Actually, now that I mentioned De'Aaron Fox, working with him in 2017 at the NBA rookie premiere, as soon as he declared, it felt like he like I think it was right around draft day he announced his first gaming deal. I want to say it was with HyperX. Mm-hmm. I, I might be off on that, but he went right into it. Uh, you know, and he said, "I am a gamer. This is what I play." join me on Twitch. And I talked with him briefly about it then, and he was super into it. And I think there's a lot more guys who are super into it. And a lot of them don't see necessarily, oh, I want to make money doing this. They see it as, I want to prove to everybody that they can't take me down. 
Right, like actually, right. Be- Benny Snell from the Pittsburgh Steelers, he and I worked together at the 2019 rookie premiere. And now when you meet him for the first time, you think that he was a professional Call of Duty player with an NFL <laughs> athlete's build. Like that's how passionate dude he is about uh, Call of Duty. And he was just like, man, you cannot take me down. You cannot. Nobody can, can beat me in Call of Duty. That's, that's great. I and I mean, you're so like on point because I'll talk to athletes that they like to play, they play a lot of video games and they play it recreationally. But when I try to engage them to maybe join a call of duty tournament, they're like, well, I'm not super good at that. I'm really good at Madden. Mm -hmm. Like if you have something Madden for me, like they, they don't even want to take the risk of going and playing a game that they don't feel like they excel at. Right. Because they're so used to being good at everything that they do. I mean, look at how many athletes, I mean, there's some overconfidence in in some areas, right? Like the athlete rapper. But I think the differences here is the time and energy that it's going to take. And you have to really, truly love playing video games if you're already doing it. And I really feel like a lot of athletes started playing video games because they traveled a lot and it's super boring. It's so Mm -hmm. lonely on the road. You think about an athlete traveling from city to city. And I think the misconception is they're just like out partying, having a super good time. And it's just like all fun and games. That's not really truly reflective of the lifestyle. While some of those things do happen time to time, a lot of that time's just all by yourself in your hotel room. And if you have some friends on your team and some players have no friends on their team, let's be real. But if you have friends on your team and you can get together and somebody brought an Xbox with in their suitcase and you hook that up and you're playing games together and you're hanging out all night or you're just playing alone. There's a lot of that's been happening, you know, over the years, but a traditional athlete that's already playing video games can easily, I think, cross over into the industry very authentically because they're just streaming what they're already doing. But you have to really start there because I've had conversations. I'm sure you have too usually it's with the PR team or an agent Mm -hmm. that they see a value in esports, and they're trying to convince the athlete to get in. And the pushback that I normally get from the athlete when I have a conversation where someone else is telling them they belong in esports is that when they do an appearance somewhere, they're getting five to 10 grand. If they're a mid-level, mid-tiered athlete, well, how much am I going to, who's going to pay me to go do a thing? And it's like, you have to build it. So I'd love to hear your perspective on really building that brand within esports from the ground up, because there's a lot of players that aren't Carl Anthony Towns that can be extremely viable within the space if they want to put the time and effort in. So like, how are you working with athletes, like just getting them to get started? Yeah, it's something that to your point, being authentic is absolutely paramount. Because especially within the gaming community, you've seen countless brands try and get involved just to be completely rejected by the gaming community because they know that they're not speaking their language. They're just clearly just slapping a logo on something and calling it good, or they're trying to appeal to old stereotypes and diatribes of who gamers are, not not relying on kind of this, not necessarily new age of gamers, but this understanding that it's an incredibly diverse, incredibly inclusive group that obviously you you can't approach a League of Legends fan base the same way as you would a Call of Duty or, I mean, even Candy Crush. They're completely different segments. 
as far as athlete engagement with that, authenticity is key because I, I think that in the midst of the shutdown, you've had obviously a lot of leagues trying to engage to fill that gap of having tra- traditional sports on television. And some were more successful than others with the 2K special that they did, the classic. They had great names on it, but not all of them were engaging. The ones who were the most engaging were Patrick Beverly and Devin Booker. And Devin Booker won. He's already a a massive, huge gamer. He was the one who I think when you watched him, you saw him when he made a big shot, he would react. He would be lively versus some Mm -hmm. of the other players who were just kind of sitting there with the PS4 controllers in hand and not really doing anything. MLB, I think that the show Players League was successful. I saw it a lot, especially on my social channels. And I think it's a little bit more accessible to that fan base. People who want to watch baseball don't mind watching that simulation of baseball, especially when it's a player that they're really interested in. On that same note, I think that the Mariners did a great job with uh, their tournament that they did, which had 16 players and 16 fans playing against each other. So I thought that was a really, really great brain integration. And I think, I believe Nike was involved with that too. But on the same token, a player needs to really be themselves in the midst of this. They need to understand that when they're streaming, it's one thing just to play and to engage in tournaments and not stream. Because then they can just be whatever whoever they want to be. It's not, right. it's not an issue. But if they want to build a brand within gaming versus just being the best, it's really kind of an interesting recipe. It's them being true to themselves. It's them being... I'd argue a little bit of responsible because you Mm -hmm. obviously when you're streaming, you want to make sure that you don't do anything that's going to potentially throw off any sponsors. Well, like the NASCAR driver who lost a sponsorship because of his behavior, right? Yeah. Kyle Larson. Yeah. And you don't, you want to make sure that there's a little bit of that, there's that brand responsibility, Mm -hmm. but also you really want them to engage. I think that you've seen a great success with people like Myers Leonard and Josh Hart. Myers Leonard, he has always been a great, a good NBA player. He's, you know, had a great career with the the trailblazers and now with Miami, but you might argue that he's having a little bit more success in the gaming platform because he has this huge rambunctious personality and you see him, jump on a stream. Like I, right before we jumped on here, I got my notification that he was playing Warzone. And he's somebody who like his, his first few streams weren't that really that populated, but then all of a sudden now he's playing with big players in space, people who get 70,000 concurrent viewers and I think, he's gaining visibility. Yeah. And I think Myers Leonard understands how to build fan community and he yeah. knows how to be an entertainer. Like he understands that he is an entertainer first and then you apply that level of entertainment and your loud big personality you apply it in both areas you can he can apply that to his career on the court and he can apply it as an esports streamer and athlete in, in that regard as well and um, I follow his you can like follow his text like he'll text you like it's like a community yeah. platform right it's like behind the scenes but there's something about the digital age not only for streaming, but integrating social media into Mm -hmm. it and the ability for a fan to feel like they have this peek behind the curtain and they're Mm -hmm. a part of someone's everyday, everyday life. We didn't have that. I mean, for years and years, we didn't have that early in both of our careers. It was these very highly produced behind the scenes videos, and they would get really high rates on on the websites when we would pull web analytics on the back end. People loved Media Day. Behind the scenes of Media Day, that video was watched and consumed almost more than the Media Day coverage itself, right? Because people love to see 
the inner workings and the players being candid. Well, now with social and all these different platforms, athletes are so accessible and you can really kind of understand who they are as people. And you kind of feel like you're friends with them or them, or you kind of have this relationship and that's the power of streaming. I mean, you're connecting with people. Not only are you giving them an insight, but at the exact same time, you can be engaging with them through chats and, and then layer in your own brand partnerships and brand promotions. I just feel like the players that get it, they really get it. And they're becoming massively successful. And there's almost this Definitely. big, the cost, what's the cost of missing out for athletes that are not willing to take the plunge? The FOMO, the FOMO right there. <laughs> it's yeah. funny you bring that up too. One of the, right before I left Panini, we were work, we were trying to strike a deal with a very prominent player in global soccer. And when we were talking with his team, one of the things that was discussed was, hey, if you can get it, if we can work this out with him, I think you should also get a deal with his friend, basically, also a very prominent player, similar team. And they're like, look, they're buddies. And when one gets a deal, the other one wants it. And okay. if they, they do have that FOMO. And I think that that's something that you're going to see going forward too, is, you know, you know, you're, you're hit the nail on the head when you're talking about access and authenticity, because if you think about, you know, over the past 20 years, in 2000, there was no Twitter, there was no Facebook. Social media was very segmented. You know, I think Friendster maybe existed at the time. That might mm, be it. Yeah, good old Friendster. Um, yeah. And I think we're still even coming out of having music fan clubs. I think I was on the street team slash fan club for 311, where I could call the uh, music hotline and, you know, hear a recorded message from Nick Hexum. And Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know what? That was uh, that was pretty awesome then. But we, we fan engagement has evolved from mm-hmm. the autograph to yeah. the selfie to the shout out now with brands like Cameo and a few other ones who are engaging in that space to bring to, to bring you closer to the people that you adore. And mm-hmm. if you're a fan of the Phoenix Suns and you're also a fan of playing video games, whether that's Warzone, Fortnite, whatever it is. And you see Devin Booker playing, you're going to jump in, right? You're going to, and you're probably going to jump in and try and say something in the chat, depending on how fast the chat's going. He might see that there's some people who actually look through and say, "Hey, oh, you posted. Oh, hey, thanks for subscribing, or yeah. thanks for the bits, whatever it is." And a lot of these athletes have been able to take that and translate it to good. Just over the course of the COVID pandemic, you've had. People like Myers. Myers has raised over a hundred, almost one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars for Feeding America. Devin Booker also, I believe, had a uh, had a campaign where he was using his Twitch streaming to raise money for COVID-related foundations. Yeah. And I think there's there's a, a great opportunity for these players to again not only build up their own personal brand engagement, but it's kind of this really augmented platform for them where they get to do something they're passionate about and also use it to help others Mm -hmm. because you can see the difference that it makes when they're passionate about something. I mean, you've got players who are passionate about all kinds of different things. They're passionate about animal rescue. They're passionate about, you know, helping inner city youth. They're, you know, passionate about underwater basket weaving, whatever it is that they are into making cupcakes. It's just Every athlete has something that really drives them, that motivates them. And they're all unique in that manner. And I think that just, you know, through this lens of gaming, you see that 
I, I kind of want to see who's going to be who's going to step up and start showing off their Animal Crossing worlds. It, it's just I think that there's a space for them in gaming because gamers don't like being told how to act or how to respond to things. But I, I think that you're going to see a lot of instances where you've got athletes, celebrities, personalities who start to, in a way, embrace their identification as a gamer and right. find ways to build their brands that way. I think so too. What are some unique ways that you've seen athletes utilizing their brands within the space more than just streaming? I saw the Call of Duty launch event that was here in Minneapolis. And Mm -hmm. we did have quite a few celebrities. Carl Anthony Towns was one as an athlete. Michael B. Jordan was there as well. But Kobe had passed away that morning in helicopter crash. So that portion of the event was kind of scrapped just out of respect what was going on and everyone was just kind of thrown through a loop. But I'm seeing a lot of these really high level events happening like that, that CDL is putting on or all is putting on and they're using top tier talent yeah. in live events. What are some other unique things? What have you seen? Yeah, I, I think that you're, you're going to see a lot more of that. I've seen you talk about, you know, I think there, before it got canceled, there were a lot of people who are going to be engaging in South by Southwest and E3. And I know that in particular, again, a lot of this is kind of stuff that was planned that now has kind of gone right. out the window. Yeah. But with the NFL draft being in Las Vegas, I know that there were a number of opportunities to have top tier NFL talent playing Madden at a couple of different events. But a friend of mine, actually, uh, he works with the NFL Retired Players Association. And one of the coolest things I've seen, I think this was at a couple of different events that they had over the last couple of years, had some of those retired juggernauts of the NFL playing Madden against fans. And so mm-hmm. it was just an activation. I, and I can't remember the brands that they worked with, but for example, Mike Singletary's there and you could play him as the 86 Bears and you could play against whoever else. I, I love that kind of stuff. I love seeing where you've got this smart integration because it's one thing to, to just have, okay, if you're going to play against Devontae Adams as the Packers, that's great. But you have this history and you have this storytelling aspect too yeah. that I think is cool. And there's a lot of things that I think are just growing right now. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite ones. Like I said, when with Panini, the first time we had Complexity out, we had a lot of guys who were just so excited just, just to sit and play. Right. And right. they were sitting with Hogman, who's one of their top Fortnite players. And they jumped on a stream with him. And I believe it was on Complexity's main channel. And so they're sitting there dropping in and chatting with Calvin Ridley, really good, prominent NFL players. And I think that there's a lot more of that to be done. Mm-hmm. I think that whenever we get events back going, I think there's a tremendous opportunity, especially on the regional side of things. Like if you see somebody like Benny Snell, who I mentioned before, I know he's done a lot with the Pittsburgh Knights. And, and Pittsburgh Knights have done a great job of latching on with the Steelers and with Khalifa and integrating hip hop culture as well as yeah. sports culture. And FaZe is doing a great job of that too. I remember watching Cheddar Esports and seeing Offset on there with, with his FaZe gear and just seeing that, that crossover. It's going to be interesting too, I think, over the next couple of years, there's talk of you know certain sitcoms that in, that are incorporating gaming elements, and because really a lot of it is going to go mainstream now. Mm-hmm. Again, in, in talking about this engagement between athletes, celebrities, and all this, when it comes to the, the properties and the games, when Valorant launches, is there going to be a mass of 
NFL or NBA athletes playing Valorant? I'm not sure. Or are they going to stick with Call of Duty? Are they going to stick with Fortnite? And then I think that what's going to be really fascinating to see is as things move back to normalcy, how do athletes use their downtime mm-hmm. to build their brands? Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Especially the ones who are, you know, kind of dipped their toe in during this, you know, COVID, you know, will they, will they maintain that? Will they see that brand equity grow because they're in the space? I like what you said about the ability to play with a pro athlete as like this pros versus Joe's scenario, which Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that are, that are um, being marketed as pros versus Joe's. I think there's a heavier brand equity in that versus the traditional, like a meet and greet because you can engage with a much wider audience. And I think from a player perspective and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a player would much rather engage for two hours playing a video game with somebody than to just sit at a table for two hours, shaking hands and no signing question. things. I mean, no question. I mean, most of them, I, I I would say most of them, that's the case. Obviously, some maybe prefer just to sign, to sign autographs and do a quick picture. But a lot right. of them, I mean, they'd be doing that anyway. You know? Well, and if you think about the journey, right? So the customer journey, if if it's a meet and greet and you have to sign up, you have to physically get there, you're driving there. There's only room for so many people. The number of engagement and impressions that you're going to get is those people talking about maybe being there, taking pictures, maybe posting them on their social. It's kind of redundant. It's the same. And it's kind of capped unless someone else shares their picture. But why would you share a picture of your friend with Kevin Garnett? Like you wouldn't do that. Whereas if you have an opportunity to sign up for a chance to win a place, you're going to sign up, you can share it with your friends, and then they're all signing up and they're going to share it with their friends. I think the overall footprint gets wider, larger, the impressions get larger. But then if you didn't, if you didn't get selected, if you can't go to the meet and greet, you're not going to watch a stream of a meet and greet, right? You're going to watch a live feed on Facebook live of somebody else meeting the thing. But Right. You would watch your buddy or even a stranger then actually play and engage the experience and imagine yourself there. Yeah. And, and that's the thing too. I think that we're both familiar with, with this brand called uh, Shot Call that yep. is working right now to essentially be the opportunity for you to basically say, all right, I'm going to take down Baker Mayfield in Madden. Or I'm going to take down Clint Dempsey and FIFA, whichever opportunity you want to, to draw on. And if you do agree to have it streamed, that's something that's really great, right? You have the opportunity to say, hey, tomorrow at 2 p.m., I'm going to take on Baker Mayfield in that and, and I'm going to kick his butt. And and then he jumps on and, and maybe he does the same thing and he says, not a chance. And, um, and it, it's that storytelling and that experience yep. because as people who you know, have lived in the sports marketing world, storytelling is absolutely paramount to this. Because if you think about the successful events in sports, so much of them have an experience tied to them. Yeah. Watching a team come back from a big deficit, having a game winning play, Aaron Rodgers throwing Hail Marys, what's up? We've got all kinds of different things that you live the experience and you tell somebody about it. You become evangelists for something that you think is incredible. And I think that one of the big things with this is, again, I'm going to spend the next 30 minutes trying to beat Baker Mayfield in Madden. 
sorry, Baker, I just keep picking on you, but you know, just, <laughs> but like, you, you get that opportunity. Uh, and if he wins, he is going to tell everybody that he did it. And if he gets his butt kicked, he's probably going to still tell people about it. He's like, nah, but he's going to also just engage. And that's the thing is to your point about the meet and greet. I remember going to warp tour 13 years ago, walking up to a band during their meet and greet. And it was just, hi, how are you? Take a picture. Okay. Bye. Mm -hmm. But I remember also walking over to a different band's booth. The band was still sitting there and I sat and chatted with them for 30 minutes about everything, life, music, Canada, everything. And I remember them a lot more vividly than the meet and greet. And I told people more about it. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this band, they're so great live. I got to go sit and talk with them afterwards. It was so cool. And they won me over for years. And you know, it's that storytelling It's people want to feel like they're seen. People want to feel like they're heard and people want to feel satisfied with the experiences that they have. And I think that in engaging with somebody who they admire or they know as a celebrity, they're going to tell about that experience. And mm-hmm. again, it, it does a lot more and it goes, I'd say it, it's that extra mile compared to just the typical meet and greet or even just a shout out or a like on Twitter. So before we close, I want to talk a little bit about brand integration because someone recently okay. asked me and I didn't have the answer and I'm hoping you do. If an athlete who plays in a pro sport, like say he plays in the NFL has his own stream and he runs it himself Mm -hmm. and he's on Twitch or Mixer or whatnot. And a brand reaches directly out to him through his stream. Do athletes have what, where are those lines? Are there blurred lines? Are there, is it clear on what they can engage with, with a traditional brand? Do they have to go through their team? How involved are the, are the traditional franchises when it comes to their players? utilizing an esports brand and and having I I believe they've got a pretty carte blanche I would say overall like because if you take a look at it every athlete you know in the NFL there's what uh, 1500 athletes who are on active rosters and each one of them I believe has full autonomy to go and pursue a deal and I, I think the NFL might have a little bit more regulations but I was actually surprised in the last few months to see some of the baseball players like, for example, I think Christian Yelich got on with Lining Kugels. There's a player for the Royals who struck a deal with Boulevard. And considering how big of a vehicle Anheuser-Busch and Miller Coors are, I was actually kind of surprised that an individual athlete would go on with a craft beer company, right. which I was happy about because I, I love seeing that. But I do believe that they have the autonomy to go and do that. Their agents may pursue nudge them to go one way or another. Right. Because I think it's a really good opportunity if you're a traditional athlete, but not only the potential to generate revenue through your stream itself. And, you know, we talked about charity components, which I think is absolutely viable right now to, to mention, but also to be able to have your own brand partnerships and layer them in a place that you own, because as an athlete, you can be doing smaller deals, this incremental revenue that just builds up versus there's brands that can't afford to go to a pro team. There's smaller brand and maybe a startup brand, but you can go directly to the athlete and do a deal on their, on their yep. esports stream versus trying to go to a team. And, and, you know, the, the, the lowest bar is maybe a $50,000 exactly. retainer, $25,000 engagement on the lower end. I think that could really be a powerful thing to start marketing. And that's the, and that's the thing that I think is, it's almost this little Venn diagram, 
right? You've got the sphere of influence of an athlete. And since I picked on Baker Mayfield, I'll, I'll use him for good. Poor Baker. Poor Baker. So you, you got Baker Mayfield. basket later. I know, I know. So he, he's a great partner of Panini, so I have to, I'll, I'll give him that too. But <laughs> you have his influence. And he's obviously capitalized on that with his, with his commercials and other endorsements that he's done. But if he's an avid gamer, you have the sphere of influence of Cleveland. And you have his followers also from Oklahoma and his previous schools. And then you've got the game that he's playing. So let's say he's playing Fortnite. So you've got Fortnite, which is this big sphere of influence. Well, if you're a brand that's non-endemic, if you're Target, if you're Walgreens, if you're Mountain Dew, if you're Sheets, if you're Wawa, if you're insert brand here, yeah. and you want to engage in esports, if you were to go directly to Epic, directly to Riot, directly to Activision Blizzard, to your point, you're not getting out of there without a massive spend. Mm-hmm. And that 50K, I don't think he's even going to get you a conversation, depending on what it looks like. But you could potentially go to an athlete and say, hey, let's do a sponsor overlay. Let's do a sponsored tweet. Let's do something else. And you would get a better ROI on that because you're going to have a better social engagement. You're going to have a smarter way to target people who are interested in both Baker Mayfield and Fortnite. And since we're, yeah, since we're talking Cleveland and, and Ohio, it's like, you know, you can, there's so many brands that are based in Ohio. There are so many brands that are, that are based in that entire vicinity. I mean, even thinking of, of Michigan, if, it's, if there's a player for the Lions or the Pistons, you've got Ford Motor Company who has a massive sponsorship appeal. They right. do a lot of different integrations. I, we were just watching New Girl, right? And the, I think entire season three, there's a, there's sponsored kind of branded integration, uh, integrated marketing within those episodes. Okay. Um, and I noticed those because there you go. But, you know, you have just a, these areas of affinity that you can really preen from these spheres of influence. And I think that non-endemics especially can benefit from athlete engagement and almost traditional sports sponsorship to capture some esports eyeballs and do it in a smart, engaging way that is going to come across as authentic versus just slapping their name on a banner at right. an event and right. calling it good. Yeah, I think so too. I think that we're going to see, especially after the end of 2020, I think there's going to be a big brand explosion just because I think everybody understands that esports is kind of like where it's at right now. It's not going to happen. It's here. Like here we are, here it is. And I think there's a lot of really smart brand marketers that are watching, but their hands are a little bit tied because of, of what's of the, the current climate that we've got, but that the strategies are going to be built out. And I think that the tipping point is pretty near. I hope it is actually, because that'd be super exciting. But I yeah, think right? we're getting closer to a t- tipping point. If like, I'd love to understand really who who are you engaging with? So from our listeners, like, who should be reaching out to you to get into this? Is it the brands? Is it an agent? Is it the player themselves? Like, who are you working directly with? And maybe it's a combination. It is a combination. I'd say that most of my primary conversations have been with agents um, and have been with people representing players to, uh, to understand their place in this world because they know that their clients are all about it. They, they know that their clients, like one agent told me, he's like, yeah, my guy goes to, um, and this is again, pre COVID he's like, he goes to training and then he comes home and he plays video games for about five, six hours. And he's like, I'd love to find something that, you know, to get him involved and to, you know, to find partnerships with him. Yeah. I think that uh, there's a lot of benefit in people, you know, 
finding people who are bilingual, you know, who speak both gaming and sport, because you've got a lot of people who come from the sports industry who are trying to bring those principles that saw sponsorship revenues grow and grow and grow into esports, where a lot of teams haven't figured out how to monetize their value yet. But at the same time, a lot of those people don't understand the space. They know the principle, they don't necessarily know how to live in it. It's almost like knowing how to drive a stick, but not actually getting behind the wheel. Ever doing it. Yeah. That's me actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, that, that, for that analogy, that, that's, yeah, but, but not, not professionally. So, but being able to understand again, again, like I said before, just how to speak the language, how to engage authentically and how to be real and present and do something that is going to be a win for all parties involved. Right. You're kind of hand-holding or coming shoulder to shoulder with an agent and right. then working directly with the player on what are those tools and tactics and even what are some ways that they can make some incremental revenue with, within the space and kind of getting them set. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and again, I've been working with, uh, with some great teams who have been living in the space too. And they're like, hey, we've seen a year cycle of working with an athlete and what that looks like. And there's some people who want to jump in right away and find a lucrative brand deal. Well, that's just not going to happen right away. Right. So yeah. understanding how to build that foundation and make it something that is right. um, viable for the future. So again, most of that has been on the agent side and trying to find some ideas to, to really engage both sides of it. And I right. think that my personally, my next step is to try and, to speak more with those external non-endemic brands to help them understand the space and how mm -hmm. working directly with athletes can help really boost their own brands within gaming. I love that. That's so yeah. necessary right now. So if somebody wanted to reach out to you, where, where do they find you? What's the best way to reach you? Best way right now is just on LinkedIn, actually. And it's um, it's just Corey Hollingsworth. It's my full name. Unfortunately, it's a lot of letters, but no, I'm also Corey. On no E and Corey. Nope. So don't think Corey Feldman, think Corey Matthews and oh. got to drop a boy in this world there. So, <laughs> but also on Twitter at, at, at Corey Hollings. And uh, that's just about it for the time being. There's some stuff in the works that hopefully we'll be launching pretty soon and we can update that later. Yeah. Keep me updated on it because we'd, we'd love to include that in future links as well and make sure that people know um, everything you got going on and the best way to get a hold of you. And I love that you came on the show and we always have great conversation. And I think we probably could talk for another hour. Definitely. And we didn't even really dive into any like really fun stories, but next time we'll have to talk about some experiential stories, things that we've endured Definitely. working with athletes. Oh my gosh, <laughs> we won't yeah. name names. <laughs> no. We won't, but yeah, like I said, I mean, I, I dropped a couple, so, you know, I, but it was all the good stories. of uh, All the good yeah. ones. Yeah. Awesome. So. Well, thanks so much, Corey, for coming on the show today and wish you all future success. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. <laughs> thanks.